me please to shift gears with a story. Um, we're going we're gonna to read a very long passage, a whole chapter of scripture. And um, I know how it can get when, when, you know, pastors usually, they go about 10 verses is as much as you want to put out there. Not because we don't believe in the authority of scripture, but because it's a long time. It's hard to listen to someone read to stay focused, but it's a great passage. But let me, so let me just tell you what, that I know, I know what it's going to be like, how challenging it might be. Um, it's kind of like when someone else prays and they pray for a long, long time. Um, about 28 years ago, last month, right? When we got engaged, uh, scenic shores, uh, I was on crutches, which I know big surprise that I was injured. Um, I was on crutches. I was going to propose to Lynn, and uh, we went down the, all these steps on crutches uh, and then had a blanket. We we're out on the beach. We're going to watch the sunset. And my plan was all day I had this engagement ring in my upper pocket of my jean jacket. That'll tell you the year we were in. Um, and, and I asked her to pray as the sun was going down. And it was, it was just, it's purely a ploy. It was, Lynn, please pray so your eyes are closed so I can get this ring out and have it open. And we can kind of set our whole relationship after a prayer, right? She prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. She's still praying. Um, sun was down. It was dark. The, the, the moon was out. Um, you know, if you know Lynn, you know she has an intimacy with Christ. Like that, and that's one of the things I love most about her. But she wouldn't stop praying. So I'm, I'm, I'm you know, with this ring, I'm afraid there's sand everywhere. I'm going to lose this thing. So I understand, you know, when you're sitting with someone and, they, and someone offers a prayer and they keep on praying, you're hungry, you're waiting for the food, all that kind of stuff. You just want God. God is good. God is great. Let us sing it for food. By his hands, we are faithful. Lord, daily Amen. Eat. So lots of verses of scripture. And it is the only passage that I'm aware of in, the, in, in all of scripture where an entire chapter is written by a former demon-worshiping person. Nebuchadnezzar. Now, we've seen in this book of Daniel that, <laughs> that Daniel, that God's judgment is a gift, that God judged Judah, and he brought these demon-worshiping people in to take over Judah and even take some of the holy relics. That was the day that Doug and I were up here together. And, and the, but Daniel treated the, his, his situation and the people that were imprisoning him, he treated them with respect. He honored them, and he earned the right to be heard, to say anything. And then, and then there was that dream that Pastor Doug, when he brought that message a couple of weeks ago, that, that dream that he interpreted. You know, the first one is God's in control. I mean, it starts off that God handed them over. It was at his hand that he allowed it to happen. So that's God's, God's sovereignty overarching this whole book. But then it's, it's about God's wisdom was the dream. And then last week of the fiery furnace, it's about God's power. Today, it's about God's sovereignty, that God is in charge of all who are in charge. God is in charge of all things. This book, this, this chapter is written by Nebuchadnezzar. It's near the end of his time as king. <clears throat> this is, in effect, his last will and testament. Um, and I just want you to know, the grammar teachers out there, you educators, uh, it is not me that's misreading these things. If I mess up something, I will, I, I, I'll, I'll own it uh, if I notice it. But it goes back, from, back and forth from first person to third person, first person to third person. But it is indeed Nebuchadnezzar writing this whole chapter. So it reads like this, and I'll kind of pause as we go to things that might help you understand what's, what's coming. And at the end, I'll give you an admonition or a challenge, and, uh, and we'll finish up in worship with song. King Nebuchadnezzar, this is kind of how they started letters back then. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the peoples, nations, and men of every language who live in all the world, may you prosper greatly. 
It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. That's his praise, his, his opening salvo, so to speak. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. And I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in my bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. And when, I, when the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream and they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence and I told him the dream. He is called Belteshazzar after the name of my God, again, Nebuchadnezzar speaking, uh, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I said, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here's my dream, interpret it for me. These are the visions, these are the visions I saw while lying in my bed. I looked and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the beasts of the field found shelter, and the birds of the air lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. In the visions that I saw while lying in my bed, I looked and there before me was a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven. And he called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off the, its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee. I'm doing this really loud because it said in a loud voice, okay? So you know. All right. Just need a little break. Scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze remain in the ground, in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth and let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. And just so you know, when it says seven times, that's just a, a, an Aramaic to Hebrew to English way of saying seven years. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of men. This is the dream that I had, King Nebuchadnezzar, or this is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belteshazzar, tell me what it means for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Now, last week when we talked about the fiery furnace, I reminded you that um, that's the, probably within spitting distance of where the Tower of Babel was built. And that there's academic speculation, we don't know for sure, but academic speculation that the fiery furnace was actually built from the remnants of the kiln that was used to build the Tower of Babel to make the bricks and mortar for it. Um, we've also learned over the, the last couple of years here that God tends to use similar circumstances with different people in the same places to teach a similar lesson. And we, we've, talked about, we've talked about Abraham offering up Isaac, and we've talked about David uh, on, the, on the threshing floor of a ruin of the Jebusite, and him saying, God, it's my fault, not theirs. Take me, not them. And then Jesus on the Temple Mount, when he was, that, that's where the Temple Mount was built. All those places are the same thing. And then, and then Jesus, that's where, he was within spitting distance of there where he was crucified, where he said, God, it, they did it, not me, but take me, not them. 
God tends to use similar spots with different people to say the same things. Same thing here. While this is a dream, it's a vision of a tree. The tree, the vision of it, is, is, is a representation of the kingdom of Babylon, where Babel was, where they had built up trying to claim their place next to God to compete with God, to say how important they were. They were committing the same sin that Adam and Eve did in the garden, that they had an intimate walking, talking, knowing, loving relationship with God, and they decided not, not what you want, God, what I want. My dominion, not yours. My majesty, not yours. That's what Adam and Eve did. That's what the people of Babel did. And God, he, he, he struck them and gave them different languages and spread them over all the earth so that they couldn't get so arrogant that they would try to compete with God again because that is not what's best for humanity. Here you have a king in Babylon who has a dream that his tree on this field, on this plain, has grown up all the way to the sky and that everything gets its nourishment from it. It shelters them, it protects them, it gives them food, it gives them place to live. It's a representation of the kingdom and the king itself. Same place, same sin, same idea, same message that God has. Then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belteshazzar answered, my lord, Belteshazzar, Daniel, same guy. My lord, if only the dream was applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong, and its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the beasts of the field, and having nesting places in it and its branches for the birds of the air. You, O king, are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky, and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. You, O king, saw a messenger a holy one coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it, and, uh, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live like wild animals until seven times passes by him. He's just repeating what the dream was. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord, the king. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, be pleased to accept my advice. This is not from God. This is now from Daniel, who's res showing respect and affection to this king who has mistreated so many people, but also Daniel's earned the right to speak to him. Therefore, O king, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be then, it may be that, it may be that then your prosperity will continue. I'm going to pause for a second, not for long. You've seen in this, in this book, and we've read almost every word of this book so far, you've seen that, that in a way, Nebuchadnezzar is like a god. He decides who lives and who dies. He decides who prospers 
and who's punished. He decides what nations to go to war against. He decides what happens to the people that are conquered. He decides whether, whether Daniel and his companions are made into eunuchs or not. He decides all things. All the people that have food and sustenance under his kingdom have food and sustenance because he says so. He decrees it. All those who go starving, go starving because Nebuchadnezzar says so. So Nebuchadnezzar has this idea of himself. And in earthly terms, it's very true that he is the most powerful man on the planet. That is the largest and most powerful nation the world had ever seen. And God comes to him in a vision after showing him mercy after mercy after mercy. And Nebuchadnezzar seeing, seeing miracle after miracle after miracle. He still, he still won't submit to the will, the sovereignty, and the desires of God. He knows he's there. The last chapter, he praised him. But as he's grown older, he's grown more arrogant. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar 12 months later as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. He said, now again, this is Nebuchadnezzar talking about himself. He's, he's saying to all the people of the earth that this is what was going on in my head. This is, not, is this not the great Babylon I have built as a royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? The arrogance is unthinkable. But I want you to see the mercy in this. God gave him that vision. He brought Daniel, who he calls Belteshazzar. He's, he's earned the respect. He's earned the right to be heard. And whenever Daniel speaks to Nebuchadnezzar, he speaks with mercy. Like, just take my advice and stop being a, stop being a jerk. Be humble. Do right. And God gives him 12 months to consider what he told him. God, through Daniel with respect and humility, tells the king, you know what? You're going down. Unless you change. And the king has 12 months, and one day he's walking on the palace of his roof near the hanging gardens of Babylon, one of the, one of the, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And he looks at all that he's done. It's, it's, it, 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 it's Mufasa talking to Simba. All, as far as your eye can see, this kingdom is ours. He's saying, as far as I can see, and then more, and then more, and then more. I did this. I built this. I'm like a god. Finding my spot here, sorry. The words were still on his lips. When a voice came from heaven, this is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from the people. And ate grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. 
His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At this time, or at the same time, my sanity was restored. My honor and my splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors... My nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he's able to humble. This morning when the pastors, and Lynn was there this morning too, but when the ministry staff gathered to pray uh, before the services, I joked with, uh, Kurt was the first one in, so I joked with him and I said, you know, the point of the message today is if you're proud and you don't repent, God will turn you into an animal for seven years. We'll give you that literal, right? God's in charge of those who are in charge. God's in control of those who are in control. God humbles the proud. Now, we have choices to make, all of us. When we're looking at the political arena, and I'm not just talking about in the West or just in the, in the United States of America. I'm talking about when you're looking at Mexico, you look at South, Central America, South America, you look at Asia, Europe, Eurasia, you look at, the, at the, 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 the continent of Australia, you look at anywhere around the world. You look at it, and what do you think? Things are going pretty good. And then we watch the news and we read the papers and we read magazines or you get news feeds on your Facebook, whatever, however you get your information, the commodity that's traded is fear. The reason we picked this book for this fall is because we could feel the angst building up in people when we're looking toward our election. I think we have 37 days before it all takes place. And we wanted to just remind you of whose you are. God is in control of those who are in control. And yes, we may elect one of these two people. And no matter what you think about it, God, if they do evil, God will not be surprised. If they do good, it will be because God is God and God is good. And he is the one who gives any power to any person. Any power to any person. So if you're, if you're a boss, or if you're a father, if you're a grandparent, if you're a husband or a wife, you have authority. You have some power. And God's message to the proud is humble yourself. Don't wait to be humbled. God's message to those who are entrusted with even more power, and it's funny that he says that, that he, gives it, he gives over the kingdoms of men to the lowliest of people. That makes you pretty high up. You're not lowly, but whatever power or authority that you have, God has a reminder for you through the book of Daniel. Do not exercise your power like Nebuchadnezzar. He's a demon-worshiping king. He worshiped Baal, human sacrifices for this God, also known as Marduk. The guy worships Satan. And God even let him be used to call God's people who were no longer behaving like God's people to become more like God's people. And for this pagan demon-worshiping kingdom, God brought some of his people 
to live with them, amongst them, to show them that God is good, that God is sovereign, that God is wise, and that God is powerful. God's judgment on Judah is also a gift to Judah and to Babylon. This demon-worshiping satanic king writes a book of scripture praising God because God made him insane for seven years. Politically, look folks, if you're fearful, I'm not convinced you're being faithful because we've not been given a spirit of fear, but a power of love and of sound mind. But individually, that's the corporate big political thing. Individually, wherever you are, whatever power you have, whatever authority you have, whatever love you show, you're supposed to do what God called Nebuchadnezzar to do. Not to lead like a king, but to lead like Jesus, who being in very nature God, God did not consider equality with God something to be held on to, but took on the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And it goes on, and then it says that he was obedient to God, even obedient to death, death on a cross. Therefore, God gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ will, every knee will bow, every knee will bow. Nebuchadnezzar, he bowed for seven years. All fours look like a troll. Great fingernails, I'm sure. And yeah, if you mistreat the people that you have authority over, you might not get to write a book of scripture. You might not walk around for seven years on all fours, eating grass, ruminating on cud. But will God reveal hidden things? Will God humble the proud? Every knee will bow. Don't you believe with me that it would be better to bow voluntarily? Then be forced to your knees. Nebuchadnezzar was given an opportunity to bow his, bend his will and bow his, bend his knee and confess God. He was given the opportunity for 12 months to do what is good, right, noble, excellent, and praiseworthy. And he didn't. And so God humbled him. He broke him. To believe that God behaves differently with the kingdoms of the earth or with the kingdom at 3131 Crestbrook, where I live, is to believe that God, who's never changing, who was the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, is to believe that he's no longer sovereign. So let's just review real quick. What is God's intention in the book of Daniel? Now, after the next couple of chapters, it turns into purely prophetic stuff. So we're looking at one through six. This is the last we hear of Nebuchadnezzar. His son, we hear about in the next chapter. And he didn't follow in his dad's later footsteps. And God does the same thing to him. Not, doesn't turn him into an animal, but he has judgment for him. God's the one who handed Judah over. It's judgment on Judah, but it's a gift to Judah. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope. And if it's going to be 70 years, it's going to be tough. It's going to be awful. But you need to turn back to me. And it's judgment on Babylon. You think you're, you think you're all that? Who do you think you are? 
I think I'm God. No, <laughs> you're an animal. But what was the purpose? Is it so that God can show his strength? No, it's to create a new people at a pagan people to be God's people. Just as it was a way of calling God's people back to being God's people because they weren't looking much like God's people. And so he used God's people that weren't acting like God's people to be, to, to be a, a, a witness to the people that worship Satan. God is wise, God is powerful, God is sovereign. That has not changed. So as his people, as his church, I happen to be the person that God chose to deliver this message to us today. Here's my challenge, my exhortation. On a purely personal level, search your heart. And if you start thinking you're all that, bend your knee. Remind yourself that you're not God. Remind yourself that you're not all that wise. Remind yourself that you're not that big a deal. And praise God that he is. Remind yourself that every good thing, every piece of hope, every, every good health, even your sanity is a gift from God. And he speaks it every day. Be sane. And you're sane. And if he withdraws his word from you, you end up like Nebuchadnezzar. On a, on a, on a slightly larger level, I don't know if, if what we're experiencing these days in our culture is judgment from God or not. I have no idea. He hasn't told me. But it doesn't look good. But God's judgment is a gift, and it's possible. It's possible. I don't know that it's likely. I'm not predicting future. But it's possible that God is working right now to bring all nations, all people groups, all families, all, all orientations back to him. And then he might be spreading Christians around the world to, and, and allowing them to suffer so that people will see that when they suffer, they end up praising God anyway. It may be something worldwide, but it may be something next door. You have someone, a boss, a colleague, an enemy, a neighbor, a friend, a child, a grandparent, a spouse that might be thinking that they've got this whole thing figured out. That, that my truth is my truth, your truth is your truth, and we just, you're not allowed to speak into my life because I'm, I'm only accountable to myself. That is hopelessness because if you're coming from nothing, you're going nowhere. God says, earn the right to be heard, and when you've earned the right, speak God's truth to them. You do always be prepared to give an account for the hope that you have, but do it with gentleness and humility. When given the opportunity to speak into hopelessness, bring hope. When given the opportunity to speak into brokenness, bring wholeness. When given the opportunity to speak into emptiness, bring substance. And he might do it a thousand more times, a thousand more times, a thousand more times until it takes over the whole world, but he might do it just next door. But your call and mine is to first be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And we're supposed to, as citizens and ambassadors of his kingdom, we're supposed to act like he calls us to act. To not be afraid, but to serve. He's in control of those who are in control. And whatever you're in control of, God's in control of you. So you can choose to participate with him or you can defy him. And scripture's full of what happens to the defiant. And it's full of what happens to the obedient. Jesus was obedient to death. Therefore, he was given the name that is above every name. 
Nebuchadnezzar was defiant, and he became a cow for seven years. You pick. Let's pray. Lord, it's been a week. And some of the time it didn't feel like you were in charge. But some of the time we could not doubt it. Thank you for being sovereign. Thank you for being wise. And thank you for being all-powerful. Lord, remind us to search our hearts. Give us the courage to confess when we see pride in our midst. Call us to be humble, to humble ourselves, to bend our will to you, to remind ourselves we don't just have to know who we are, but we need to know whose we are. Thank you for the story of this demon-worshiping king who ended up exalting you. We bless you for being able to see that even the most powerful person on the planet, you can humble Lord, I pray for this church that you give us courage, that you make us generous in spirit and every other way so that people see our good works and don't praise us, but praise you, our Father in heaven. We pray these things in the name that is above every name, Jesus, through the power of your Holy Spirit for the glory of God our Father. Amen.